Hey everybody, it's Quinn. By now you've heard the exciting news that we were nominated for two more Webbies this year. Uh, best Newsletter and Best Podcast Episode. Last year we were nominated for Best Podcast Host and Best Science Show. Uh, we didn't win, but our competition was truly uh, among the best of the best. And like this year, we are honored to be in their company. That does not mean we don't want to bring the trophies home this year. Uh, we do want to win this thing. The podcast episode we were nominated for was number 70, uh, featuring guest Nikki Silvestri, and it was titled, Who's Fixing the People, Fixing the Planet? While the conversation was mostly climate-specific, uh, because COVID wasn't even a glimmer in that bat's eye yet, uh, it couldn't be more timely as those of us at home, and especially you, our amazing listeners, are doing so much to support healthcare workers uh, that are out there putting their lives on the line every single day. These people are facing unimaginable stress and still show up every day. And just because they're showing up doesn't mean they're not struggling, uh, much like those folks that have been working on the climate and the oceans and the land for so long. Uh, these things stick with you. Um, I honestly believe this episode might be among the best work we've ever put out there, if not the best, and I'd appreciate you listening or re-listening. And should you agree with me, uh, heading on over to our website at importantnotimportant.com and clicking the link to vote for us. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Enjoy. Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. This is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic or question affecting everyone on the planet right now or in the next 10 years. If it can kill us or turn us into people who can see in the dark, that's what you came up with? Yeah, I mean, uh, that would be transformative, right? Yeah, no, it, it would be. We'll get into it. Uh, we're in. Our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians astronauts, uh, a reverend, uh, and we work together towards action steps uh, that our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. This is your friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, dreams, and visions, and other feedback to us at uh, Twitter at importantnotimp. You can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com, or you can send us now a voice message hey. uh, at the link in our show notes. You can also join thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. This week's episode is deep. Yeah, that's what it is. I think that, I, 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 I literally didn't know what else to, <laughs> to, to, to type. It's fucking um, deep. Uh, wow. Uh, listen, things are broken. Yes. And sometimes the, the people working on the things that are broken are also broken. And how do we help them? And why do we help them? Well, because we need them. I, 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 I don't hesitate to say this is probably, and this is just such a ridiculous word to use. Oh, a uh, like a transformative episode. I feel like, like you're trying to steal my. I fucking said this is the episode that everybody needs to listen to. Now you're saying it like I didn't say. It. I was about, I was about to Were tell about everybody to... that you said. Oh, that. got it, got it. Well, I take back what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest uh, is, uh, was, forever, will be uh, uh, Nikki Silvestri. 
a a truly empowering human and a woman and a coach. And wow, man, it's only been 10 minutes and I yeah. um, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be thinking about this one and learning from it mm-hmm. uh, for, for quite a while. This is not a nerdy one. No. This is not a wonky one. I'm not asking you to me- memorize cancer facts Mm-mm. or understand uh, why oceans are doing what they're doing. But it's about why why we're doing what we're doing, and and some a lot of times why we're not doing what we could be doing. And Nikki, <laughs> she she gets to the heart of it, man. Yeah, and, and she's trying to help those people. So I don't want to give uh, too much more away. Do you have anything else before we get to it? Just listen to this episode and tell everybody that you know to listen to this episode. I'm not kidding. It's incredible. It's like how when we talk about all the problems in the world and how none of it matters if we don't fix climate change because if we don't fix climate change, we can't do anything. And this is, you know, if we don't start from a, what she's saying, if we don't start from a place of, uh, uh, of you know, peace and uh, wanting to, truly wanting to help and, and innovate, and if we're not happy ourselves, then fuck, everything's fucked. It starts yeah. with you first, all the way, all the way down to the, uh, it's, I don't know, I'm, I know I'm rambling. I just listened to the fucking episode. <laughs> Here we go. That's oh, so good. Enjoy. Our guest today is Nikki Silvestri, and together we're going to ask, who's fixing the people fixing our planet? Nikki, welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. For sure. We're happy to have you. Very happy to have you. Nikki, if you wouldn't mind, tell everybody who you are and what you do. My name is Nikki Silvestri. You can find me at NikkiSilvestri.com, and I've been in climate change and food systems for the majority of my career, and now I like to say that I save the people that are saving the planet. Yeah, that sounds pretty. Love that. Uh, Can you tell us a little more detail about what that involves? You don't have to go into, you know, everything, but just to kind of give us context for for why you're on the line today. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know any environmentalists, but we tend to be somewhat hopeless people. (laughs) We we like to walk around talking about all of the climate solutions and regenerative agriculture and food systems, but a lot of us are just in a ball rocking back and forth in a padded cell inside mm-hmm. of our hearts. And so that's what I address And on the one hand. And then on the other hand, we need to be the most systems thinking, abundance mindset, social justice sophisticated social entrepreneurs that ever lived to solve the problems and the amount of time that we need to solve them ecologically. And so on the other hand, that's what I also do is help environmentalists become better systems thinkers. I told you she was awesome. Yep. Yep. Um, Are you able? I need savings. This is a good This is not an intervention. (laughs) We're not doing that right now. I told you that before we started. Different thing. That's a good point. (laughs) So Nikki, what we're going to do is uh, uh, Quinn's going to provide some quick context. Probably wrong. And then you can correct him uh, uh, for the question at hand here. Um, And then we're going to figure out some action-oriented questions that get to the heart of uh, why we should give a shit about about what you're doing and what everybody out uh, there listening can do about it. Sound good? Sounds great. Yeah, sometimes the context is is incredibly wonky and nerdy. You know, we'll be talking about uh, bacteria or cancer or or space trajectories or or you know uh, the percentage of carbon dioxide affecting soy or something like that. Uh, this one's a little more uh, meta, so we don't have to get into all that. But you know, basically, our listeners are often texting and driving, so they don't have time to Wikipedia or look up the things. So we like to get everybody on the same page to start. 
But we do like to kick off with one uh, important question to set the tone a little bit. So uh, instead of saying, tell us your entire life story, Nikki, I would love to ask you, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Why am I vital to the survival of the species? Mm-hmm. Be bold. Woo! Yeah, that's right. Let's get this going. Yes. <laughs> I would give y'all my real answer. Let's see how it goes. Let's do it. <laughs> Fuck um, yeah. <laughs> so after I had my nervous breakdown in 2014, after talking to drunk climate scientists in DC who were saying we're all going to die, mm-hmm. I had to do some soul searching around what I felt like my spiritual mission statement was and why I am here. And what came up in that deep exploration is that the deeper reason why we are destroying ourselves and destroying the planet is because of our dilemma around control and domination and needing to exercise our fear of mortality on each other and on the planet and control what we can. And so at its core, I feel like I understand that. And so I don't try to address the symptoms. I try to address that core thing because we can, we can rebuild systems. We can create new policies. We, we have the right answer. We've had the right answer for decades, mm-hmm. but we're not doing it. And we're not doing it because of the control and domination thing. So hmm. that's why I'm vital because I actually have the right answer and I'm doing the work to address it so that we're not creating systems that will just destroy an election cycle later. I'm into it. Wow. So would you say that was kind of your big pivot personally? A hundred percent. I started my career. I was a young executive director. I became an executive director at 25 and spent my career before that was all in food systems and climate change as well. And we had more time than 20 years versus 10 years is it's a lifetime. It's someone's entire life. So I, when I really started talking to scientists and was running two offices, one in DC and one in the Bay and having to go on television and talk about hope, I just, I didn't believe it. Not when I was looking at the science, I just didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And then to learn the actual statistics and the possibility when it came to soil carbon sequestration and different drawdown strategies, that was enlivening for sure. But the part that wasn't was that we weren't, we'd had these answers for decades and we weren't doing it. And so that was really the thing I wanted to address. Why aren't we doing it? What do we need to hear individually and collectively? to actually act in the amount of time that we have. And so that question is now what drives me. And that was my personal revolution. I love it. Do you have uh, any sort of background in uh, psychology or sociology or anything like that that you feel has really helped you kind of come to this unique place of getting to the deepest sort of first principles of of why we're not acting? Such a good question. So it just so happens that both my parents have master's degrees in counseling. Ah, there we go. Is a transpersonal and humanistic psychologist. (laughs) And it's possible I grew up with seven older foster brothers and that my parents ran a foster family agency together for the majority of my life. Wow. And so I grew up in deep conversations about why parents have children and then have the types of struggles that means that they have trouble raising them. And so 
I mean, having children is one of the most primal things that we can do. That Mm -hmm. love we have for our children is one of the most primal forces that we experience on a day-to-day basis. And so for me to interrogate the reasons why someone would reject it, struggle with it, do terrible things to their children, I think it, it brought up the human psyche and the human condition for me really early. And then I got activated around environmentalism, I think, for you know, honestly, I've tried to answer that question. Like, what what is it about the little black girl who grew up in Inglewood in the late 80s and early 90s that made me such a fierce warrior for the ecosystem? Mm-hmm. And I don't have a good answer for you. There's different moments, those inciting moments I can point to in my childhood, but it really feels like it's something outside of me. It feels like it's something that I came in with. And I feel really honored that I get to honor that path. I, I think it's tremendous. And I think we're all... <laughs> Very lucky, uh, as as I'm sure trying as those experiences have been, uh, that you have brought that perspective to them and had that pivotal with a bunch of drunk climatologists. <laughs> um, yeah, we're just you know, it's some sometimes whiskey is truth serum and can make you go, oh shit. There's there's a whole other thing that's not being talked about here. Exactly. All right, so. Like I said, the context today, I'm not going to give everybody a bunch of facts and figures here because we've we've done that enough and we do that enough. And, and this is a little bit of a different conversation. But this, we have these, so I'm sure you haven't wasted all of your precious time listening to our podcast, but we, <laughs> we started a, a few months ago breaking off uh, sort of longer conversations just between uh, me and Brian about whatever we want to talk about with these main ones with infinitely more uh, intelligent and capable people like yourself where we actually address a topic. Uh, and I've, I've talked with him and, and even talked with my wife and some other people about just how heavy uh, this stuff can really be, um, mm-hmm. which is why this one, uh, this episode and, and, and you as our guest uh, mean so much to me why I've enjoyed talking to you so much because we work really hard to not only talk about, to help people understand, to help people take specific effective actions on the topics and questions that we feel are most vital today, the really good stuff and the really not good stuff. Um, and, and of course, again, Brian and I couldn't do that alone. We're idiots. That's why we have people <laughs> like you on here. So again, just set, setting the table so people kind of understand how I come to these things. E- each episode, we, we bring on someone who's out there on the front lines, in the field, doing the thing. and, and most of the time, these aren't big names like some of these other conversational podcasts, right? It's, which is like, let's hear what, the, what this celebrity is thinking about this or their newest movie or whatever it might be, right? We're not, we're not, we're not trying to bring on those people um, with huge pop culture followings. There, there are so many incredible people, though. And this is our 70th uh, original episode. Uh, there's so many incredible people that are out there. Uh, the people we've talked to and all of the ones that we haven't like yourself that are out there working so hard to improve our condition. Uh, and that's me speaking as a white guy, which is say like, it's not that bad. Uh, our world, our air, our water, our soil, uh, our bodies, uh, to improve the lives of those that are suffering the worst, who are the most disadvantaged or who are part of a system that was designed against them. Uh, People whose water and air is dirtiest, who can't escape the heat, Uh, children with cancer, artificial intelligence researchers, all these people that are just trying to do something 
profound. And uh, just because there, if there's anything we've picked up on, um, and I've realized myself going along, and I feel like Brian does too, because he walks in and just sees me with my head in my hands half the time. Um, just because these people are infinitely more intelligent and, and driven and capable than we are, it doesn't mean that shit just doesn't get hard. doesn't get overwhelming. and doesn't just become like fucking too much at times, right? And, and, and a lot of the reason is because they are often in the position of being the first to know some really bad news or to be the bearer of bad news or, or the ones that they think, on the other hand, again, we don't just talk about negative stuff. They're the ones that think they're on the cusp of some incredible pediatric cancer discovery only to be you know, set back once again, which is just what science is. But that doesn't mean it's just not hard. I mean, again, I, I, I feel it and I'm just a fucking white guy with a newsletter and a podcast, right? I'm not, I'm not out there doing these things. But I, but I do want to do a better job of digging into this element of it because like you said, we have had time and chances and we've known the answers of the thing we needed to do for so long. And there's a variety of reasons why we're not doing things, um, but there seems to be this common core and it feels like you, you, have, you have come to terms with it and, and understand it and you're actually addressing it and working on that, working on the people be, behind our future and, and how they're doing and saying, how, how are you? Which is such a fundamental question. Uh, so that's why this one really means so much to me is because I get it. And, and so I've sort of stolen the famous comics Watchmen tagline, who watches the Watchmen, which is, you know, who's fixing the people fixing the planet. So uh, talk to me about you, you, you had your drunk night uh, and you had these re- revelations. Where, where did you go from there? Where were you in your life at, at that point with your work? And then, and then how did you pivot and where did you go from, from there to start working in this uh, slightly different direction? At that point, I was running a national climate organization that had an office in D.C. and an office in the Bay and a team of 20 to 40 and all the things. And I left. I left after being there for under a year. And I walked off of a cliff if I had to this pin picture of what that felt like. Mm-hmm. I was beyond burned out. I found out that year that my husband and I were going to have a lot of trouble having kids and it took us four and a half years to have our first child. And it was hard. It was hard all around. And I had come to a full circle with my career as well. I started as an executive aide at that organization and then came back six years later as the executive director. And that was my goal professionally was to be executive director of a national climate organization. So. To have achieved it and to realize that that wasn't my actual zone of genius was really hard. So I just opened myself up. I kind of, I was a puddle on the ground for a few months and did a lot of reflective practice. Went to the forest quite a bit and just asked that question, what am I here for and what am I meant to do? And that was when I was introduced to soil health and soil carbon sequestration and soil fertility as an actual intervention for climate change in a deeper way. So I started a business and started doing some boutique consulting around supporting the advocates of soil health to do their systems change work even better and to incorporate diversity and inclusion. And did that for a few years and was really excited about it. But at some point, I did start to notice this trend, whether I was working with someone in regenerative agriculture or national climate or just working with folks that were doing big foundation work around water and oceans. 
all of them seemed to have this thing in common where they were they were deeply struggling with personally how to sustain themselves knowing what they know and then how to take personal stability and actually translate it into tangible impact. And that's where I feel like my sweet spot is because yes, it is personal holding and personal coaching and support. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's taking the concept of thriving personally into your systems change work as a strategy. And I learned that from soil. I just, I can't really say enough about soil because when I first started working with soil, the thing that came up for me the most was how you can't fake soil fertility. Like Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're building soil health, you can't unintentionally degrade any other system, but you can do that if you work with water, if you work with animals, if you work with any other thing. And so I, I looked at what it really takes to build soil health. And the level of complexity of relationships you have to build with the organisms and the minerals and all of the things underneath the soil to build healthy things above the soil. So then I started thinking, well, what if we created, what if we took what it takes to build healthy soil underneath the ground and took those strategies and used them to build healthy soil between the activists, the advocates, the policymakers, the organizations and the businesses working to save our planet? And then whatever they grow from that healthy, fertile place will benefit all of us. And the last thing I'll say about this is that that's what soil health advocates tell ranchers and farmers. If you build healthy soil, everything else will come. Your healthy animals, your healthy crops, income, all of it. And so that's my proposition for the environmental movement is if we build healthy advocates, activists, practitioners, businesses, and organizations, all of our strategies might actually start working. How about that? How about them apples? Wouldn't that be wild? Get a policy passed here and there. We might actually get industry to stop, stop the fuckery. Right. I will, uh, I'll pause there. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's so compelling and it's a wonderful, analogy or, or, or metaphor, I guess, which, whichever way you want to place it, but it does matter. It's, it's, it's from, again, keep throwing these things out there. It's, it's building from the ground up. Right. And like you said, right. you, you can't fake the, the fundamentals. And I, I wonder, do these, do these people ever feel, and I know there's plenty of people that are in lots of positions in the world that feel sort of a, a hero complex or, uh, or they just feel like they're, some of them might be just very focused on their work and some might see the bigger implications. And I think that's becoming harder not to these days. Is there ever a sense of, I need to do better because everyone needs me to? Uh, is it, we talk, Brian and I talk a lot about the shoulds here uh, mm-hmm. when we're talking about uh, how our minds work or or fail to work sometimes, which is the, Oh, I should do this. I should have done this. And I should do this. You wake up and you're like, I'm already behind. I should do this. I should be at my kid's thing instead of this. Do they, is there ever a sense of like, I don't know if I'm articulating this very well, but you know, I, I should have my shit together because, because this is the moment when we need to do that. And, and, and I guess, how does that make or break people? Does it often inspire them to, to, to do that or to 
to work harder or to take care of themselves better or does it break them or is that just not out there at all? I'm, I'm kind of curious. It's 150% out there. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. Have, it's one of the reasons why I talk about environmentalism and social justice, social equity kind of in the same breath. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like both of those camps have this realization that the problem actually does require all of us. There is no person who cares about water and marine life that is going to stop biodiversity loss in the oceans themselves. They know that not only do they need their allies, but they need the people who are actively destroying biodiversity in the ocean to listen to them too. And when you get to that deeper place within yourself where you realize that you can't control other people, especially the people that most need to change according to you and your thoughts and your strategies, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like it creates the sense of hopelessness. And it's a seed of hopelessness that we try to buffer with community building and tactics and all of the things that we build around ourselves personally and professionally to keep going. But the seed of hopelessness still grows. And in the social justice movement, it's the same way. As an African-American woman, I, I, I often have the thought for my son to be safe in the world, it's going to require a shift of hearts and minds that is shifting 500 years of a global economic system. Mm-hmm. And so how do, I, how do I do that? How do I do that? What can I do in my lifetime mm-hmm. that's going to have an impact? And then finally, when you get reports like we have 12 years left until we get to an irreversible tipping point, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's literally like, shit, my yeah. kid is going to be in middle school. Right. My kid is going to be in middle school. Is he going to have an opportunity to get married? So these are the kind of thoughts when it comes to should. All of those things create this orchestra in our minds of, no, literally, now is the time. I don't have time to enjoy myself. I may not have time. Like whatever issues I'm having with my husband right now, I literally heard one of my coaching clients say that the other day. Yes, I'm having issues with my husband right now, but I can't take six months off to do Mm -hmm. deep counseling with him Mm -hmm. because we only have a few years left. This is crucial. The election in 2020 is coming next year. Mm -hmm. If my marriage survives the election, then I'll think about it. (laughs) Fine. I feel like, I honestly feel like this is just a backwards way of thinking. Like that's my strong and bold opinion on the subject is that for millennia, humans have thought this was the final era, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that we were all going to die. And even if it's true, we're still here in the present moment. And it's that that deeper non-dualistic practice of Mm non-attachment that's going to create the kind of innovation environment psychologically, emotionally, and practically that will create the miracles that actually provide a pathway for our future. We have to know what the miracle pathway is. And that's what I'm trying to help us all build is that miracle pathway because it's going to take magic and miracles at this point. Yeah, that's the, that's kind of the hole we've dug, isn't it? Uh, it's going to take a lot of hard work and just some shit to go our way, you know? Magic whether it's, uh, it's uh, it, whether it's uh, you know, someone solving the battery storage problem or carbon sequestration, uh, you know, all of a sudden becoming super affordable and really productive yeah. and you but know, that's things. Sick, right? When right. I say that we've had the answers for decades, right. literally, literally, 
the patents are there. The research is there. One of the biggest things that came up in my regenerative agriculture circles is the lack of peer-reviewed journals on regenerative agriculture. Some of that is because it takes four people to approve a peer-reviewed article. Mm -hmm. And half the time, one of those scientists of the four will just say, I just don't believe this. I have no context for this kind of data. I've never seen it before. Mm -hmm. It's probably not true. It's a failure of imagination on our part. When we want to do something as a species, look, 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 look. We about to get into some real talk right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, ready? I'm ready. <laughs> when we, when the colonists in America said we need people to work the land here, the mm-hmm. soil here, there's nothing. There's not enough of us. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's try enslaving the Native Americans. Oh no, they know the land. It's not going to work. Okay, mm-hmm. psych. So we need another plan. Let's go to Africa. <laughs> Let's figure out how to transport mm-hmm. millions of people. I mean, the scale of the transatlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about innovation? They created modern day insurance. They cre- there, there were so many things that we have in modern day times that we just take for granted that the slave trade developed because they needed to innovate a new economic system to work the land that they wanted to possess. Like we are incredibly innovative. We've just used our innovation to create things like slavery. Mm-hmm. And we need to use our innovation to fix that shit in 20 years, 10 years if I had my way. And we can do it. We just have to believe that we can. So that's where I get on my soapbox and I'm like, we are walking stardust, bitches. Mm-hmm. Of course we can do this. <laughs> and it's not even that hard. It's just a failure of imagination. So I try to get all of us, all of us together <laughs> who have that seed that it's possible inside of us and we work it together. I love it. And, and I think the comparison is, is, is apt. I mean, you know, we, we used it for this horrific thing uh, that, uh, you know, hasn't exactly let up. It's just in different forms, of course, for the past couple hundred years uh, since it, quote unquote, slavery formally ended. But the things have come of it, like you said, we, des- we designed a whole new system, and it's uh, it's a ridiculous comparison, but it's the same, not the same. It's it's you it, you know when people say why do we go to space, and it's like, well, do you like your iPhone? You know, that's where yeah. the things came from. That's, exactly. That's that's how it exactly. works. Is we said let's go to the moon, and people were like, we just designed an airplane like ten fucking years ago. Like, how are we going to go to the moon? And it's like, figure it out. Just fucking figure it out. Exactly. And we did, and we can do that again. And and. You know, I think a lot of people talk with the Green New Deal and things like that about it's going to require World War II level mobilization. It's like, well, well, okay, let's let's not, then <laughs> right. let's fucking do that. Like, yeah, it's just like what I, I, my nuclear family isn't as full as uh, my original nuclear family isn't as full of um, counseling and therapy professionals like yours, but but I've married into one that is, and I've always appreciated as a. As a you know human who deals with things, and as a, an athlete, we always had plenty of uh, counseling and things like that, and and so I do appreciate it. Um, and it does it does it does matter, and it it makes uh, such a difference to to look at things through through that scope. To look at it and say like, oh, we have to we have to do these hard things, and you have to look at it through that perspective and say, uh, look, I understand why you're scared of the scope of World War. To mobilization, sure. That seems like a lot. Like, do we really have to do that again? And the answer is, yep, we do. Like, it's we do. <laughs> that's well, what- I also feel like one of the things that comes up for people 
which is why the way that I do my work is the way it is, is that when we have a belief that strong, that it's probably not possible. It's not like you can snap your fingers and just decide the next day or that moment that it's possible. It is possible to snap your fingers and get inspired, right? That's where speeches come in. That's where podcasts come in. That's where those inciting incidences come in. Mm -hmm. But then you need a container to constantly remind your brain that it's expanding, to, to support your brain not regressing into constructs that don't fit the new beliefs that you're trying to have. And that's why having consistency and community and reinforcement is so important. It's got to be done over a long enough period of time where it just becomes your new normal. And it's nuanced work. We dig into a lot of our personal pain in that. Because mm-hmm. a lot of our belief around it's not possible, it can't be done. That shit started when we were really little. Mm-hmm. You know, we had that, we had infinite possibility as a child. And somewhere we got reinforced over and over again that whatever we imagined maybe wasn't even not possible. It's just wrong. It's idealistic. It's naive, like whatever we ascribe to it. And so the, the work of unmaking that is actually work. And that's why I, work with environmentalists and folks that are social change advocates. Because if you're in that work, some part of you already believes that there's a point to trying to work on all of this. And mm-hmm. so I, I want to take that precious, it's such a precious, tender place to say, I feel like I'm destroying things and I don't mean to. I feel like I'm, I'm, the scarcity that I'm holding inside of me is breaking me. And I fear it might be breaking the things that I love and care about too. Is there help for this? Is, is there something I can do to come from a different place so that I actually have impact so that this actually works? And yes, there is, but it's tender, it's precious, and it needs to be held as such. Mm-hmm. I, I think of two things on, on what you were just saying, which is one, I found this, um, and we, we've, I've, I've, I've so enjoyed uh, our conversations before this, where you would allot me 15 minutes and I would just lay waste to it and destroy the rest <laughs> of your schedule as we talked about children and such. Uh, but I, I found this, um, my, my, I have a multitude of children. They're a, a bit older than yours. And, and I've tried to learn some things along the way as well as what I picked up from my own family and friends and mentors and things like that. But I, this really simple little thing, I found this great, uh, it looks like a little, like a pennant flag, like a college type pennant flag. Uh, and I hung it in this little playroom that they have, and it just says, start with yes. And to me, that's, uh, w- w- and we try to keep that going no matter what. And my wife is a, a creative human as well, and, and just has this infinite sort of spark of of yes, and why not, and things like that. And we try to infuse them with it, because the world will just beat that right the fuck out of you <laughs> as soon as it can. And like you said, it is such a, t- a tender and and uh, can be it can be brittle and and easily shattered spark that everything else will try to. So I feel like it's I've taken it upon myself to make that my job as much as I can. Uh, instead of saying like that, we teach them like I can't do this. It's hard, and I just need help, and that's fine. Like that's great. You know, I admit that like things are hard all the time, and I need help, whether from them or from my wife or whoever else. Sometimes Brian. But start with yes, and and if we can, if we can keep that going, you know, I don't know, man. It seems idealistic, but it's like maybe I don't know. Maybe we'll save the place. Maybe, maybe. It's funny that you say that because I 
I often wonder where, like where my drive came to keep some of this mm-hmm. and to keep some of that spark. And I come from an entertainment family and, um, in college I studied theater and my improv professor still is one of my favorite people. <laughs> and I feel like taking a whole year of improv really helps me now as a leader and as an entrepreneur and all things, because the start with yes is like, it's been paired with and keep saying yes. Yeah. No matter what. And having that practice over and over again, it really expands the imagination. And I still take that into my work to this day. One of my clients, um, I facilitate investor and philanthropist gatherings for them. And, you know, these are, these are family office. These are fairly Mm -hmm. serious type folk. (laughs) <laughs> and I am a professional camp counselor. For- <laughs> <laughs> so I'll have them up on their feet singing Little Red Wagon and Waddly Acha. Sure. And, boom, and you can see in their faces when I ask them to stand up and repeat after me, they're like, oh God. Uh-huh. Yeah. And halfway through. <laughs> it's amazing. So really injecting that spirit. I think that the way of being has to be modeled for us to change the way we orient toward our work as well. And our way of being has to be joyful and it has to be pleasurable and it has to be connective so that we associate that in our nervous systems with our work. Because half the time, our nervous systems associate difficult conversations, actual threatening behavior and politics that make you sick to your stomach. Like the actual nervous system experience of being an environmental advocate or a social justice advocate can be really shitty sometimes. I'm sure. A lot, sure. A lot of the times. So having experiences where you're, you're also showing your nervous system that you can do this work joyfully is really important. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's funny. I feel like I've had uh, numerous experiences and, and there's plenty of people who will poo-poo on this for a variety of reasons, half of which I do understand. But I, I feel like I've had uh, folks I've worked with who've uh, played sports uh, in some capacity, and and I can always tell if they have had experiences where they've been losing in the fourth quarter before, and how they handle almost failing or failure or stressful situations or stressful situations where you're almost failing with a team, and what your role is in that, and not calling people out and 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 persevering and things like that and it is a matter of like you said exposing yourself to that over and over again so you can learn how to do it so that when the time comes and people are like we got 12 years you're like well fuck okay yeah. i mean it's it's going to be hard but uh you know we we can we can do this thing and that's what one of the things that drives me so completely insane when when you know we put out things like the green new deal which are still being entirely fleshed out but are so obviously needed. And the first thing you see is like, oh, we can't do this. It's too expensive. It's right. like, you motherfuckers, like try to help. Just tr- take one second and mm-hmm. like, try to be fucking helpful. Like, can't you see that everything is on the line here? Uh, you know, just, it, I'm not saying you have to agree, but start with like, and, and yes, and, and keep going. Right. And, and just, be, just be helpful. And it helps everyone's sanity. It helps our progress. It, it helps the whole thing. Well, and that's actually, so (laughs) one of the first things I do with folks is look at that pathway of resistance to acceptance and invitation and putting forward bold ideas is important because it reveals our own and others resistance to it. What are the beliefs that need to be shifted for this to be true? 
And resistance is useful because it shows, okay, so these are the beliefs. These are the limiting beliefs that you would need to shift for this to be possible. And I think one of the most important things that environmental and social justice leaders can do is refine our ability to extend a generous and boundaried invitation when we are experiencing resistance ourselves and when we see resistance in others. Because a lot of times there are those that are experiencing resistance that are primed for an invitation. The resistance is it's a, it's a breath away mm-hmm. from an inquiry and from curiosity. Mm-hmm. And if we wipe the table of everyone who has resistance, which I feel like it's, it's easy to do, it's hard. It's hard to be with that level of resistance all the time. Sure. But that's why we have to take care of ourselves. So in that way, so like my curriculum, when I work with people is first you prepare your soil and that's doing that inner work around how you orient toward truth and nonviolence. A lot of this, when you encounter resistance, how to make an invitation that leads to acceptance, like that very fundamental how to be type work. And then the second phase is then build fertility. And that's the hard part because that's where you get into shadow work. That's where you get into your own demons. That's where you get into what it really takes to inoculate excellence within yourself. Mm -hmm. And the deeper excavation happens. And then the last stage is then protect life. And that's in your relationships, both personally and professionally. Those are the diversity and inclusion strategies. That's the systems thinking work. That's where you get really practical about how to protect life once you've prepared your soil and you've built fertility. And moving through a process like that, it requires us to see ourselves in everything we don't like. And that's the higher calling, I feel, that is on us now, is to take 100% responsibility for everything we see going wrong in the world. And know that if we're noticing it, that means it's somewhere inside of us. Mm -hmm. If we can learn to love that thing and transform that thing inside of us, the strategy of how to do it out there will just flow. It'll just come naturally. You will find the words. Those opportunities you had to spend three weeks preparing for before, you will have the natural capacity to do in two days. It's really, it's practical. It's shortening the amount of time that it takes to turn an opportunity into impact. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, all right, Nikki, let's get specific here. What are the breaking points that we're seeing, you know, among all of the folks out there, the people you, that you've worked with? Uh, is, is there a, a commonality here? Are you talking about personally for them? Or yeah, tell me a little yeah, bit more about that. Yeah, I, I, I guess it could be either. I guess, like, is there a, is there a commonality uh, among the the folks that come to you is it is it a is it a personal breaking point is it a is it a public facing breaking point is it just a systemic breaking point where you go like oh I, yep I've I've seen this you're the third person this week um uh, you know with with yeah. with with this thing I feel and, like that must and I happen get, and I guess like what have you learned to uh, most proactively address that yeah yeah yes so yes and a big common thread is. So I'm speaking in the first person from the perspective of my clients. Now, got it. I've been doing what I've been doing for a while and it's been fairly successful, but I feel like it's time to step into a deeper layer of leadership. 
and I need some support with stepping into that deeper layer of leadership because I'm scared to do X, Y, and Z. I may be scared to leave my current position. I'm scared to be more public facing. I'm scared to alienate my team because somebody new just came in above me. I'm scared to... So there's like really practical things they're looking at where they're stepping into a deeper layer of their leadership and they need some help doing that. That's a real common thread that I've seen over the last six months in particular. That's compelling. Is there a... Is there? Do you find that that there is a a, a common reason reason that prompted them to to do that? Does that make sense? I yeah, no, it makes total sense. And I've been sitting with that myself because when I look at it, there's this there's an underlying sense in most of them. Okay, so it's twofold. On the one hand, I am I feel the emotional resonance when they come to me. Like what I said, verbally sounded pretty practical. Right. Mm-hmm. But the emotional resonance when they come to yeah, me, sure. mm. there's tears when they talk about this. And so I can feel the, I'm not being fully who I am and it hurts. There's pain in there with devoting their lives to something, but feeling like they're not getting back what they need to. And a lot of times they're in there you know, early 40s, mid 40s. And I think they're seeing the barrel of I'm moving into the third phase of my life and I don't want to be half of a person anymore. So I think when you've devoted your whole life to causes, you do get to the point where it's, I got to be whole and bust. This is not going to work anymore. So I think that's, that's an underlying reason. That's fascinating. And there's got to be, I mean, I imagine it's a, a wide variety of, of even further underlining, underlying uh, con, con, conditions and causes and, and beliefs and feelings and experiences from like, I'm scared to take on the next thing, or am I intellectually, uh, I'm, I'm scared to find out if I'm intellectually capable of the next thing, or if my leader quali- leadership qualities are up to task, or... Or has it all been worth it? Or is that's it's fascinating uh, to to unpack all of that. But at the same time, you know, going back to helping them fortify and and be inspired in the sense of like, and and we need you to do this, and and this, you know, this cause needs you to do this, and uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that's really interesting. So I, I imagine, and this is where you know we we started this thing. I started this thing originally because I'm I'm a sci-fi screenwriter and uh, I've always been interested in civic duty and the news and things like that. But for my work, I was seeing a lot of science and technology and space and cancer and earth and ocean news uh, because it influences my work. Uh, so I keep up with that stuff. But I realized there was a whole bunch, it was a couple of years ago, a whole bunch of like really vital stuff happening, really good and really not good that most people weren't seeing in the news because their Facebook feed was filled with cats and other shit like that before Facebook really broke everything. Um, and so I just said, hey, I'll put together this little newsletter. And it's just like, this is like the five really important things you missed this week uh, besides the day-to-day stuff uh, that comes and goes. And this is the stuff that's going to last, the, the make or break uh, stuff. Um, and then, of course, everything has really changed uh, over the past year and a half as, as it seems like democracy is fighting for its life every day in a different way, in a different battle. So I do, 
I, so I, I do empathize with it, with people feel like, like every day they open their phone and it's the phrase, it's like, what fresh hell is it, am I going to find today? Yeah. So I, I imagine if we had a, a different political situation, this would be relatively easier. So not, not only would we not have a, a day-to-day nightmare of a human and a collection of humans around him in charge, we would conversely be probably making at least some progress towards fighting this thing, right? The antithesis of this. Maybe not the World War II level operation that's so necessary, but, but something. So instead, what we have, and, and again, I try to step back and, and look at how both uh, the people, again, the people like yourself that are out there doing this, the people that you're, that you're treating and working with and coaching, uh, and then just, and just the politicians, the people that can actually enact legislation and, and the people that put them in office. Like I, I try to take a step back and objectively see it all and empathize in different ways. But, but the reality is we have this ticking clock that's ticking faster and it's closer than we thought. And every time we assess it, we realize it's even closer than we thought. We are, so, so we have these predictions that are becoming almost irrelevant shortly after they're made. But we also have, and, and we do try to balance this here, we, we have these incredible tantalizing glimpses of, of hope and progress that are almost, it's almost as if sometimes it feels like they're too hard to hear knowing we... we we can't affect them yet until whatever it is, January 2021, right? You have an incredible number of clean energy jobs uh, that anybody can qualify for, whatever uh, you know your your race or, or or background or what your previous degree was. And we need so many more. The the price of clean energy has come down uh, to be competitive with everything. It blows everything out of the water. It's cheaper now to knock down to close and knock down a coal plant and build. A so new wild. clean energy plant, whether wind or solar, than to keep that coal going. Uh, batteries have come down so much in price, if if not storage. So, but but at the same time, it feels like it feels like we're in this almost like a terrible, like one of those nightmares you cannot wake up from, even though you know it's a nightmare. Like uh, my wife and I always joke about, she had these super this super creepy basement growing up, and everyone always had that feeling. You're down there, and you think something it's dark, and something's coming after oh, you. I can run up those fucking stairs oh, to, yeah. get, to, get, to get as fast as you can to so get upstairs, fast. right? And it, it, it it's like we're we're constantly running from the monster down below, and you see the light at the top of the stairs, and you and you know it's there, but it feels like you can't get up there. Like there there is some. Some hope there against this ticking clock, and I'm I'm curious. Can the people you're working with see the the light still? See these things that are happening, and and what do you and what can you do and and we do to help them see it again to to hold on to it and and how can we do that for for regular folks? Mm. Does any of that make any sense? It's entirely it's possible. Does no, it's such a good question. And I'll answer that question with a little bit of context. So yes, I do think the people that I'm working with can see it. And I feel that it's our job to protect those things. But for some context, so you just described that it's just, it's so much worse and it might be different with a different political situation. And one of the ways that I like to describe the past political situation with our current one (laughs) Mm -hmm. is that if we were inside the never ending story, the previous administration was like we were flying on Valcor, soaring above Fantasia, chilling, 
I, I'm so into this whole thing already, wherever no, you're going. No, like, hella happy and shit. Sure. Mm-hmm. While what's happening in Fantasia is that the nothing is eating everything. Mm-hmm. Our current demonstration is we are in the cave with the Gamork, facing the Gamork. The Gamork is telling us to our faces, oh yeah, I'm helping the nothing. No, yeah, because I don't have all the power. The fuck you thought? And uh, we're sitting there like, well, shit. This whole time, while I was flying on the beautiful dragon, uh, you're saying that you were helping the nothing destroy everything? So gosh. I feel like we, we've, we've been tearing ourselves apart since the beginning of this country. We were founded on genocide and slavery. Of course, the nothing has been ripping us apart. Sure. The point is that now we, I, I actually feel like we're in a more honest, clear time than we've ever been. And it's really dangerous because when you do shadow work and you start walking that journey with the wolf, the wolf can consume you. That's the point. That's why people don't start down that journey because it gets real dangerous. And so the way to mitigate that danger is to be super responsible with what's real, what we're seeing, having a consistent orientation toward transformation and skill practical skill for how to create the transformation Mm -hmm. and doing what you're saying, always knowing, being super clear that practically speaking, data-wise, we're living in the safest time in human history. There's more of us alive and are able to stay alive than in any other time in human history. The potential, the possibility is there. It is literally our orientation toward always seeing the bad things because of just the way humans are built Mm -hmm. that is killing us right now. So, two things. One, you're right. I, I um, I'm I'm from Virginia originally, and uh, still spend uh, part of, part of the year back there, and uh, literally from Colonial Williamsburg, which is uh, right next to Jamestown, where the first uh, British, uh, very first British permanent British settlement uh, was the the fort there, where we originally started to take the land from from Native Americans, and and it. It, so I have friends who are archaeologists there and the whole thing and, and what you come to understand is like this incredible, beautiful place on this river and all these things. And, and it, the very beginning was a clusterfuck. And that is what it has been, been built on from, from the very beginning. I mean, it's where the first, uh, the, the first slave to continental U.S. showed up in, in 1619, um, you know, aside from what we, we did to the Native Americans who, who uh, were not perfect uh the, themselves in, in uh, when you really dig into it and but at the same time i mean what we came with and and the things we wrought are just horrific and we just continued to do that and then we designed a whole system around it and and uh, you know we are now seeing and have seen for a long time and a lot of folks have been seeing this forever uh, there's a great someone had a i don't know had a had a tweet online about like this isn't African Americans' first existential crisis. Oh, right. Uh, you know, I'm I'm so glad we're teaching you how to march in the streets, which is, you know, just true. It's like hey, it's been going on for a while. It's just a different flavor of it. Well, and I also just want to interrupt quickly. Please, and please. This point you said about how Native Americans weren't perfect either. I feel like it's it's important from a historical point of view to note that we all built this together. Yeah. I am not a student of Native American history, so I won't speak to that, but. Six years of African American studies certainly made it clear that the African slave trade was booming and thriving and really sophisticated before the Portuguese showed up. Mm-hmm. 
And it was Africans that chose to march their own people from the interior to the coast so that the slave trade could be on the scale that it was. Right. So it's not like white folks came to Africa and all of a sudden the beautiful kings and queens in Egypt or some shit <laughs> were taken advantage of. That is not the story. The yeah. story, two groups of very sophisticated civilizations, two, two sophisticated civilizations came together and said, we're going to build something together. We're both going to profit from it and there will be losers. Right. And it's time for all of us to acknowledge our own part in that and to stop fuckery and to create something different. And, and I, I, I want to clarify, I, I do not seek to, to speak for Native Americans or Native American history. It, it is just, again, having, having lived there my entire life and, and studied it and tried to understand it. And, and, you know, they had no, there was nothing written down. So anything that was written down comes, of course, from the English journals, but also the oral history, which is, you know, you watch the Disney Pocahontas movie and everything seems wonderful. And, and the truth is, you know, Palatan was old and was barely holding together this kingdom that he had just put together. And and they frequently undercut themselves and 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 were happy to hand over land in exchange for weapons to outdo each other. And it was just it, the point is, is like it was just fucking complicated because everything is always. And of course, uh, the, their their situation was different uh, than the Northeast, which was different than the West. And Look, the point is there. There was nothing perfect, but of course, uh, our stance with most things is is white guys ruined ruined everything. That's the overarching layer. But I, it's I don't know. It, it like you said, it's it's time to 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 acknowledge all of that, and I feel like we're trying to all trying to do a better job of that. To like you said, to 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 build something, to build something new from it. So. Well, and that's a big part of what it is that I do. Like when I say diversity and inclusion, I'm not talking about the 15 to 20 politically correct things that it's okay to say right, 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 <laughs> in public. Right. I'm talking about no, the, the data around history. What actually happened according to multiple sources? What's the complexity? Right. Knowing that we cannot ever know what actually happened. Sure. Knowing that different peoples are complex. How can we all take responsibility and how can we all have humility? How can we all grieve? How can we all extend a hand to ourselves and to each other? How can we all forgive? How can we all acknowledge what we've lost? There's so much there, but starting from this place of humanity and humility is really the way toward having an open heart and being whole and healed and healthy because well, collective trauma is within everyone. Sure. And, and we're, and, and I think that's one of the things I come to is like, I understand why people put their fucking heads in the sand. Like this is in any other situation, an asteroid that's coming in 12 years. And that's going to make a lot of people real sad and just figure like, what, why do things? And like, what, why do I need to do something? Or this is really hard. Or I've tried to crack how to blow an asteroid up or how to move it. And, and I got a setback or, or this and this and this, or it might make you decide not to have children or whatever it might be. And that's not to forget, you know, again, 400, 500 years of systemic slavery and racism or what we did to Native American peoples or all the other situations around the world, which are all equally fucked. That's not to say like, just because the asteroid's coming, like we should all hold hands and forget it all. It's just like, we we now, the asteroid is coming and we have to find a way to to build a new way going forward. And and we also have to inc include some of those things. And that's why I appreciate uh, one of our previous guests who I feel like you would love if you haven't met is, is Rihanna Gunn-Wright. And she's uh, one of the folks uh, writing a lot of the legislation for the Green New Deal. And she keeps having to defend over and over why it's so important to include 
equitable jobs and, a, and an equitable future going forward in it. When people say, we should save that for later. And whole point is like, no, we have to do it all now. Like you, you have to, those things have to be included because it's the right thing to do, but also because those people can then contribute and we need everyone to contribute. You don't have a World War II level mobilization without everyone contributing. That's not the way it works. It's um, a real good way to lose. Right. And, and we can't lose this one. Uh, slight pivot. And, and I know we're stealing a, lo- a lot of your time, but I, I couldn't be enjoying this more. Do you feel like now, Nikki, that you're on the right path personally? Do you feel taken care of? How's, how's your soil? Yeah. Who's, who's watching Nikki? <laughs> who's watching Nikki? Yeah. That's a good question. So after I had the breakdown in 2014, four and a half years of trying to have a baby, I'll tell you, it'll make you ask all of the deep questions about your life and how you're living and what you need to thrive. And um, so I... I my, I'll just say, I, I understand. It took my wife and I the, the same amount of time and, and, and tears and, and all the science and difficulties. And, and I, I get it. Yeah. So I... I curated a life for myself that prioritizes my health and sanity. And that's the only way I was able to actually come into my calling. You know, I started mm-hmm. my business doing consulting work, mm-hmm. strategic consulting and doing, doing basically the systems change work I had done before, just only with the people that I thought were on the cutting edge. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't able to actually fully pivot to the song of my heart and what I actually think will work until I had really deeply stabilized my life. So. My husband watches out for my soil. My best friends watch out for my soil. I also, not intentionally, but my friendship circle did a huge turnover in 2014, where friends I'd had for the majority of my young adult life went away. And there was this new crop of people that ended up coming into my life. And strangely, the the handful of them that I have, because there's a handful of people that I keep very, very close to me, the three of the five of them are older. You know, they're like a generation above me. And that wasn't intentional. But I feel like there was a there was an acknowledgement of what I'm moving into in my life. And so I feel like I my support system, I go to church every Sunday. And I haven't been to church every Sunday since I was like twelve. Mm-hmm. But having a kid, I was like, in order to not kill my husband and <laughs> keep running a business and doing all the things, mm-hmm. I truly need someone every Sunday being like you have a God force within you, act like it. And I'm like, okay, okay, that's right, right, right. Okay, that's right. <laughs> so when I, when I see um, that metaphor, I have metaphors around personal cover cropping and internal composting. And like, <laughs> I, I do all of these practices myself. Nice. So when I notice myself rotting or when I notice that I've been extracting the nutrients from myself without doing cover cropping or any of those things, mm-hmm. I will actively put things in place, including the people around me who have more perspective on me than I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's timely for me. And, and I, yeah, my my wife literally found me uh, about a week ago. She she got all the kids down, which usually I love to contribute to. And then she wandered into the living room, wondering where I was, and I was hiding under a blanket mm-hmm. uh, with it pulled over my head, going, "It's all too much." Well, and she was you- <laughs> she was like, "Oh boy, here we go." Like you you haven't been doing the meditation, the exercise, the whatever. And it was both logistical just too much because we're we're bootstrapped and small over here, but also just the 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 heaviness uh, of that all and not putting those things into practice that keep just keep I'm not I, I'm I'm never gonna be like high high flying with this I, I've come to terms with, but 
keeping a, a healthy head above water uh, was not not the case in that moment. So, like you said, I, with your husband and those people close to you, it is important to cultivate those so that they, like you said, they have more perspective on you than than you do, and and can notice and say like, hey, hey, man, you gotta whatever your thing is, take a step back, go to nature, eat some ice cream, whatever whatever the thing is, because otherwise you can't help people, right? Exactly. Is there besides that that moment drinking in DC with these with these folks? Is there a sp- specific relationship you can point to that was a catalyst for your actions to get you where you are today? So when I think about relationships, I think the I'm going to say black women, and I'll I'll explain that. My board chair when I was a young executive director at a local organization was black. My board chair at the National Climate Organization was a black woman. They were both black women. And I spent a lot of my younger career resisting and being um, defensive and combative with the black women in my life that were trying to help me. And Hmm. I feel like a lot of my professional journey can be seen as this arc of me rejecting certain parts of myself so hard that I actually couldn't stand to be around strong black women in some ways. There wow. were black there were strong black women in my life that I deeply loved that helped me through that, but the ones that resembled me the most couldn't stand them. And I feel like now to be in this place in my life where I have black women in my life that I just adore so much. And I come, I've come to love myself in a way that's really different. I think that, that relationship, that archetypal relationship with the black woman, quote unquote, has changed me more than anything else I can describe. Black women have been the ones who've been able to tell me about myself in ways that I wasn't able to hear and that I needed to rattle around in my brain for two years before I could hear it and take it on. Black women have been the ones to hurt me the most. I've been the one to hurt. The, the women I've hurt in my life the most are black women. There's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of battle. And there's been incredible healing. And I feel like I'm looking forward to, for the rest of my life, just honoring and being humble and in service to black women, myself included. What was your turning point? Around that? Or just in general? Uh, around that. What 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 was I guess the realization was it was it a inter, was it an a, a, an intervention from from someone or or people close to you was it an internal thing and 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 how did you make that transition? So it was a part of my breakdown in 2014. One of my best friends, my board chair, and my mother, all black women, and I had these insane falling outs with them that same year. And my coach, my executive coach at the time, was super clear that like, well, wherever you go, there you are. Mm. The common thread here is you. <laughs> <laughs> that one is always such a kick uh-huh. in the balls, man. Oh, shit. It's me. And so when I was doing my internal excavation around all the things, that one was a core one because I am a black woman. And so I just needed to face this thing about how I couldn't, I couldn't advocate for social justice. And I couldn't, there was, I was carrying so much pain 
around my love for my people and feeling so attacked and so judged and so shamed and all of these things that I grew up with. And I think I just got to this point where I realized I wasn't going to be whole unless I looked at that and I looked at it in the face and really took it on. And the turning point was me honestly just taking some space from leadership for a second, which is why I really advocate for that with other leaders, that we get to these points where we there's the deeper excavation work we have to do with ourselves, we can't do in public. And we can't do it while holding a team of 40 people. We can't do it while having to show up on TV and be coherent and with five hours of notice on a topic we've just learned about. Like The pressures of being in leadership like that means that we only, we only have finite time. And there are times that we need to spend that that precious energy that we have on ourselves and not spend it on other things. So I took a step back before I started my business and I did some work. And that work was the turning point, acknowledging that I needed to do that and acknowledging that I was going to be in more pain on a day-to-day basis for a little while until I learned how to carry that and transform it in a way that was functional and constructive for me. But that first I would just have to acknowledge that I was going to have to let it in and not try to do anything about it. Mm. And I needed some space to do that. It's a lot. It's a lot. That that moment when you acknowledge you have to you have to let it in and you're you're not allowed to do anything about it for a little bit. And it's it's gonna hurt. Yeah. It's it is a, it is a lot. It's a lot of work. But you I I mean having been in the same same place for, for, for different reasons and everyone has their different reasons and hopefully people can get to this kind of place and obviously hopefully the people you're working with can get to this kind of place with with all of your incredible help is uh, hopefully at that moment and I know if I, I had a glimpse of but I can see why this is an important thing to do because it's the only way forward in in truth and in the most productive way right which well, is yeah. and it's cyclical when it comes to leaders you know, being responsible for money and people and resources is the quickest way to show us where our edges are. (laughs) And it's not, I don't think it's responsible to take on leadership that pushes you right to your edge and shows you your ass and supports you with practicing showing your ass in public for a period of time. There's this turning point where we get more destructive than constructive as leaders when we're at our edge. And leadership has to be cyclical. That's why the four-year election cycle is what it is. It's because you can't take that kind of pressure for too long a period of time. But so many of our leaders, so many of us do not cycle. We don't step back mm-hmm. in a meaningful way for meaningful stretches of time. And so we're breaking shit. And that's not cool. Yeah, that's not helpful. I, yeah, I, I, man. I, I can't thank you enough for this today. Is is truly been enriching and uh profound and um i i hope i hope it helps people and i hope i hope it makes a difference and obviously i hope people can can see and understand what a valuable human and resource and uh yeah that you are and you're providing to these people um i just messaged quinn that i hope everybody like this better be the most listened to podcast that we've ever done just or podcast ever, or not me, even just or ours, ever. just everyone's. <laughs> yeah, we're sweet. I uh, my I'm having one of those vulnerability hangovers right now because I'm like, wow, I just went into like the closet of my black identity, <laughs> <laughs> thinking I was going to talk about 
environmentalism and saving the people that save the planet. Um, but that's how it is, right? This is, it's saving the people and I am included in that. And I just, I have a lot of love and respect for you too, for being able to hold this conversation as gracefully as you did. So thank you. We're trying. I'm grasping at straws and <laughs> flailing in the water, but but I'm just desperately trying not to fuck it up. That that that's the goal at this point. Um, yeah, Brian, why don't you why don't you take us home a little? Hey, bit? let's let's go home. Uh, so let's let's get into some action uh, here. Um, you know, so many so many people, uh, our listeners and our readers and and everyone else, with so much to deal with, and then uh, and then this. You know, I. I fully understand why they, you know, turn it off. I, I want to turn it. I always, God, I always want to turn it off. Yeah. That's the easy answer. Right? Yeah. Cause it's so easy. Um, w- what progress have you made in, uh, helping people look, look forward, uh, to keep making pro- uh, progress, you know, fighting, fighting the good fight. And, and how can, uh, those of us who are not nearly as skilled or trained in this <laughs> as you, uh, do the same. What if, yeah. what, what if, I guess best practices, you know, best what? practices. Yeah, tell me, tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got you, Brian. I got, got you. So if you are an environmental or social justice leader, catch yourself before you slip into the kind of hopelessness or apathy that is difficult to come back from. Do your work to surround yourself with enough joy and pleasure where you are triggering your nervous system in the best way possible so that you stay on the good side. And when you feel like you're at your edge in a way that's not good, take a break. That's what you can do Mm -hmm. and get some help. And for everyone else, the beauty of building social fertility, when I look at it around soil fertility, is that there's more organisms in a tablespoon of soil than there are people on the planet. The level of complexity required to build fertility is massive. So literally every single person, if you do your part to spark imagination, creativity, and innovation with whatever it is that you care about, you are doing your work to be the best kind of microorganism in our social soil. And if we all do our part at the same time, we will have social fertility and be able to then by accident fix all the problems that we have because that's what healthy soil does. It grows nutrient-dense gorgeousness by accident. And we can do that if we all do our part. Awesome. That sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right, looking... Looking outward a bit more, once people have taken care of their soil and they feel as settled and, and, and ready and as prepared as, as they can be, acknowledging that none of us ever gets back to, 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 to perfect, to square one, how can, and this is the questions we, we ask everyone, um, and, and so they vary, you know, how can folks use their, what we like to say, their voice, their vote, and their dollar? So starting with their voice, what do you feel like are the big, actionable, but specific questions the rest of us should be asking of our representatives? Why are you really not doing this? That's a good one. 
That's the key question. (laughs) Cut the shit. Why are you really not doing this? Yeah. And what would it take for you to actually do it? And tell me the truth. I can take it. That's about as honest as it gets, right? That's pretty good. What should we be asking? Tell me. Can you tell me the truth? Pretty good one. Right. (laughs) Are we doing, what are we doing about X? And when they don't have an, or or what are you doing about X? and, 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 and then why are you not doing this? And, and like you said, give it, give it to me straight. I'm ready to take it now. Yes. That's good. I feel like we can stop asking this question to people now, Brian. I think yeah, that's we the have one. the answer. <laughs> I think we that's just the one. The it only took 70 fucking quest- time to ask it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but man. you know what? I will just say, it's not like you're going to call your representative and ask that question and get a reasonable answer. Well, yeah. right. right. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's all about going to the AIDS. Being like, yo, homie, real talk. What's going on? Sure, sure, sure. What they, what they need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. So. Yeah. Someone someone around them has to fucking get it, right? And it has to be like... Oh, somebody yeah, in that Nikki, office. Nikki, I know. I sure, know. sure. I guess. This is somebody know. Somebody know what's happening. <laughs> and somebody can tell you what's happening. Mm-hmm. And you know whether you need to do a smear campaign. Like, then you at least right. know what to do. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Right, right. You don't waste time. I, I'm just, we're, we're done with the time wasting. There's right? not, there's Everyone's got a thing. What is, the, what is the thing? And if that means that person's not it, great, get the fuck out. Exactly. I feel like that's our next one, which is like, what do we do with our vote? Which is just, do, do, I don't know, usually comes down. I feel like we can eliminate this a little bit because it's like, do, we'll do the right thing. Put the right fucking people in. Right. Well, no, I mean, I think, honestly, one thing I've seen is this, this, rabid obsession with the federal level of government. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's not where it's at. Uh, for- Most of the people I talk to don't know what the fuck is happening in their own city when it comes to like, wait, ditto. running for city council? And it's like, no. When it comes to your vote, pay more attention to the local levels than the national levels. National levels, hella well-paid people are doing that analysis. Lots of really good stuff for you to read. Sure. Local level, when you ask that question, what do you actually care about? What would it take for you to do this? You actually get a real answer. Yeah, you'll talk to a person. Because tell you. Right. this motherfucker in the grocery store. So you can right. actually be yeah. like, yo, you're getting your almond milk right now. <laughs> so I had seen this thing, right, right, in the newspaper, and I have been wondering. <laughs> so, and that's where actually things can change at that municipal, regional, state level. So when you vote, do that. And it's not some broad, abstract question or answer that you're asking or looking for because it's you both drink the same fucking water right no of course and And ask direct questions like i see you grew up in x way do you not like labor right like ask a direct question if they deflect reclaiming my time do you not (laughs) like labor (laughs) yeah yeah super important we talk about that a lot on here we and we just talked to we, yeah, I've a couple of great conversations. Now, we we talked to um, Catherine, Vaughn, uh, Catherine Vaughn, who runs Flippable, which is now part of Swing Left, and they've mm-hmm. been hyper-focused on, on the state stuff. And Amanda Littman over at Run for Something, who is the same thing, which is like... Most um, of us like, at this yeah. point. Yeah, which is just like, then fucking, then fucking run. Run for city council, run for, run for mayor, run for state legislature, because that's where you're going to make a fucking difference. And also don't sleep on those appointed positions. No. Yeah, stop only vote. We don't even fucking vote for anything anyway. For the few of us that do, stop waiting every four years for just the president. Yeah. Yes. Christ. All right. 
Okay. Hey, I know we said it already, but I feel like I'm just going to keep saying it all day long, even just to myself. Thank you so much for this. This has just been incredible. Thank you for chatting with us. We really appreciate you. Um, Thank you. Really. Um, last couple, and they're they're quick. Um, eh. When <laughs> Brian, always with the criticism. That was the point today, Brian. Give it a rest. Nikki, when was the first time in your life when you realized that you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? When I st- when I won my first oratorical contest in elementary school. Well, we n- I need to hear more about that clearly. <laughs> so uh, I I come from an entertainment family. I mentioned that mm-hmm. so I was on stage at my elementary school at a pretty young age doing. I don't know if you know the people could fly, but it's a it's a tale of African folk. T- it's a collection of African folk tales written by Virginia Hamilton, mm-hmm. and I would do a dialect, like a West African dialect in the first grade and tell folktales, West African folktales in costume. And I won like an oratorical speech contest doing that and poetry and different things. And I think, you know, being like eight or however old I was holding a hundred people in the palm of your hand and being able to see the influence, I was like, oh, okay, this is legit. And then because my parents ran a foster family agency, they would always get free tickets to stuff to take the kids to. Mm-hmm. So I was seven at a Beach Boys concert backstage. <laughs> and they pulled me on stage because they saw that I knew the lyrics to Barbara Ann. What? And it was like a huge stadium. And I'm like seven That's on stage, awesome. Barbara Ann with the Beach Boys. And so experiences like that, I think, just taught me the power of that. Uh, that's incredible. Does it, and I feel like this could start an entirely new conversation. Does it blow <laughs> your mind a little bit that your kid is only a few years away from you in first grade? I mean, uh, yeah, it really does. It's weird when you go back that far and you think like, oh, that's when it started. And when you've got kids and you're like, fuck, that's six months from now. For Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Um, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months so in the past six months she's been influencing me for four years but she was the one that came up the strongest and so sally calhoun who is one of my clients and she's an investor philanthropist who has a ranch and an investment firm and a foundation who's trying to rebuild the agricultural soils of america and in the last six months i've done several i facilitated several convenings at her ranch And I think just to see someone like her who made her money in Silicon Valley, who's like, yo, we have gained financial capital at the expense of ecological and human capital, and we need to stop that shit. And I'm going to bring other investors and philanthropists to my home to be like, yo, stop that shit. And here's how you do it. (laughs) And she just inspires me so much around um, what it looks like to tell the truth. Because she really, she, she, I mean, she tells the truth and she inspires me every day. That's awesome. That's it's like a it's like a, it's a fucking revelation when you've got somebody like that in your life. It really is. Quinn, you're my that. Don't do that. Oh, uh, don't do that. Okay, the the uh, last <laughs> the last year are a little bit quicker. This one we ask everybody all on every episode, but it's so perfect for for today's uh, topic. What Nikki do you specifically do uh, when you are feeling overwhelmed? When you need to to take a 
you know, step back from the leadership and, and do some Nikki time. What's your What's your break in case of fire self care? Uh, karaoke and dancing to really loud music. Nice karaoke yeah. go to song. Uh, for both, yes. So for the dancing, uh-huh. a tribe called Red, which is this trio of native folk from Canada who do like drum and bass powwow Whoa. music. Cool name Red. too. A tribe called it's Red. Ridiculous. Excellent. And um, for karaoke, <laughs> oh, I'm so pumped. Uh, oh my god, I'm gonna say this. <laughs> okay, Azalea Banks, two one two. Oh yes, get it. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. What do when I appear? <laughs> when I appear, of your lives are near. Uh, in mine, mine. Especially after I have a hard, like anything. Yeah. Uh, mine, mine. Sure, sure, sure. Just what hard. is your hard anything? What's your go-to? My what? You're like you said after you've had a hard. Uh, oh, so you're saying? Oh, I thought you meant like a hard drink. You're saying she, after a hard time. Oh no! Oh God, my mind went <laughs> to drink too. Oh, what's wrong with us? We're monsters. Or hard conversation. Got it. Or yes, of course. Yeah, we're just, just sorry about that. Animals. Look, we ruined the whole thing. Uh, everything. It was going so well. <laughs> Son of a. Um, uh, Nikki, how do you consume the news? Uh, the week. I have a subscription to the week and I read it pretty religiously. That's okay. The week. Awesome. Here's a question for you. Uh, if you could Amazon prime one book to, uh, Donald Trump, uh, what book would it be? Oh my God. We have gotten, uh, we have an Amazon wish list, and people, our listeners can go there and uh, send the books, our guest recommendations. Um, we've gotten everything from coloring books to the constitution, uh, to, uh, some just a wonderful range. Um, so, what what would be your gut instinct? My God, does he read? Look, As I just say, say this to a number unclear. of people. <laughs> unclear. I don't think it's unclear at this point. But but the point is, is maybe someone will read it to him. Maybe, I don't. Know. Maybe somebody whose ear he has will read it. He doesn't and read. Sure. Okay. So the thing that's coming up for me, <laughs> there was this book on my mom's shelf growing up called "I Hate You, Don't Leave Me." <laughs> okay and I, i'm pretty sure i haven't read it but i'm pretty sure it's a therapy book about like the things that kids go through i hate you don't leave me and mm-hmm. i think that's he's been stuck there for a while so i'd probably send that one let's do it awesome Dude, throw it in there brian done deal <sighs> nikki where can our people uh follow you on the on the internet where are you where's all your stuff mostly on instagram Nikki Dope. Anderson Silvestri. I will respond if you DM me. And NikkiSilvestri.com is my website. And then if you want to see the consulting part of my work that I'm scaling down right now, it's SoilAndShadow.com. Awesome. Brian, do you have anything you want to say to the lady before we go? What? Why did you say? Why are you, why are you putting me on the spot like that? I'm just asking. I mean, I'm just uh, forever indebted that I just got to talk to you. If that was uh, incredible for me. I was... I would say quieter than usual, and I'm usually pretty quiet just because I was uh, having a very, very good time listening to you. Um, and I mean, yeah, just thanks. Pretty, pretty transparent. I really hope everybody hears this episode. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Well, uh, Thank you. Um, 
Thank you, Nikki, uh, for for your time today. Uh, for all the you've literally put in months of consideration into what we were going to dig into today, and and I really appreciate that. And uh, and obviously for for all that you're doing out there for all these people and and for the world, it is um, there's a there is a light, and every person you send back out there uh, is another person that's going to get us there. So we need you, and we thank you. Thank you. Um, well, we will definitely have to do this again at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Um, but we're going to let you go. I know you've been, been trapped, uh, in there for a while. So, uh, thank you. Um, I'm going to go pee now. Uh, great. Thanks for telling us that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to listen to two, one, two on blast while you're while you're in there. Oh, good, good, good. I think that's great. Uh, Have an incredible weekend. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at Important Not Imp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important. Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us. You know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.